On Wednesday, Pastor Andrew and Johan and Susan and Jean and Nadia went up to the Ligonier Conference up in Orlando, and so we knew that they were going to be away. Um, so Andrew asked me if I would speak this morning, told him I would, come in now, and he's here. <laughs> so he needs a break every once in a while, too. And I know they got a lot out of that conference. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to get right into it today. Hebrews chapter 11, very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm just going to focus on a few things throughout this passage this morning. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And then verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not, a, was not made of things that are visible. Now next week, come back. Pastor Andrew will continue his basic Christianity creation uh, uh, series, and he's focusing next week, I believe, on design. So come back next week, and you will be thoroughly blessed by what he's going to give you. But today, I want to focus. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Father, give us open ears, receiving hearts today. May your word go forth and accomplish that which pleases you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Growing up, one of my favorite TV shows was a TV show by the name of Hogan's Heroes. In fact, my wife got me the complete set on DVD. And if you ever want to watch Hogan's Heroes, Etzel Ganey now has my DVD set. And he watches them. When, when uh, Hurricane Irma came, out, uh, came through and all the power went out, uh, the Ganeys had electricity. So we would go, we went over to the Ganeys, and I brought Hogan's Heroes with me, and we sat every day and every night and watched Hogan's Heroes. Now, if you don't know about Hogan's Heroes, it was a television sitcom uh, back in the 19, late, uh, mid-60s to early 70s uh, about a German uh, prisoner of war camp. And Colonel Robert Hogan was the mastermind of this group of individuals who were in this POW camp. Uh, and their goal was to sabotage everything that the Germans were doing in World War II. Uh, and he would also help other POWs get out of the country and give them uh, papers and clothes and, and help them to get back into their home country. But what was interesting about Hogan's Heroes, it was made up of a group of soldiers from everywhere. There was an American... There was an Englishman, there was a Frenchman, there was somebody who was good with communications, there was somebody who was just great with uh, explosives, um, and he was a chemist, but he had really not much uh, expertise in that field, if you ever watched that, because he constantly was blowing up things. And so this was just a fun show to watch, and then you had a stupid colonel uh, and this Dumkoff sergeant. Uh, who I pattern my life after because I go around and I say, I see nothing and I know nothing. Some of you have watched it. Thank you. 
Recently, however, after the passing away of Billy Graham, which saddened, I think, all of us, those of you that especially grew up with Billy Graham, I began to think about the heroes in my life. We're, the, the entire chapter of, of uh, Hebrews 11 is nothing but the heroes of faith chapter. And we're going to get into a little bit of that this morning. But I got to thinking about my heroes, those that have had an influence on my life or who have inspired me. People that you might know and people you don't know. But they have made me what I am today. The first one was my dad. He was my hero. From the time that I can remember any type of memory, I wanted to do and be like my dad. If my dad walked in the snow, I thought as a little kid I could follow in his footprints, and they were big. Those were big steps back in the day. I wanted to be like him. When he would go out on a, on a, a call, he worked for the Indiana Gas Company, and that's a, 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 the, the people that does natural gas, and if there's a leak or whatever, he goes out. I wanted to go out to be like him. I would ride in his truck on service calls. I would make the seatbelt my radio. He was my hero. And almost two years ago, my hero went to heaven. My mom's my hero. My mom is strong. Even today, she is strong. Another one, many of you remember this one, Bubba Howell. Love Bubba. Bubba and I became really close right away because he was the softball coach for the church softball team, and I loved to play softball. So we hit it off right away. And then I started to date his daughter. One time we were going to the, uh, uh, a softball game, and I'm petrified because I wanted to have his blessing to marry his daughter, and I'm riding in the, 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 his truck, which was called the Yuck Truck. It was an old gray truck, if you guys remember it. And I'm sitting there in the passenger seat, and I, you know, we finally, the conversation kind of got quiet, and I go, hey, Bubba, I need to ask you a question. Would it be well right with you to have your blessing to marry your daughter? Without hesitation, he said, well, of course you can marry my daughter. Now, let's talk about this game that we're going to go into tonight, because <laughs> we've got to win this game tonight. That was the extent of me asking him, and I'm like, why was I so worried? I love Irene. I've never called her mom. It's always been Irene to me. She's one of my heroes. My grandma Chase was one of my heroes because my grandma Chase, my uncle, I would go and spend the night with them, and my uncle as a teenager, just he was not a Christian at the time, Fortunately, later on, he, did, he was, became a Christian, but he had the best cars. And in 1970, he had a Chevelle SS 396 with a 396 transmission in it with midnight blue with white racing stripes going down the middle. I know you're all visiting this. because one of my favorite all-time cars. And he never went to church. So my grandma, in her 60s, drove his car to church. That was awesome. My grandma. And you know what? She had a lead foot. She did not believe in going slow on the road. She loved speed. 
And my grandma, I loved her cooking, I loved her baking, I loved everything about her because she was a sweet, dear grandma. Etzel Ganey, one of my heroes. I'm glad, Etzel, you're still around to give us stories about uh, the Korean War and telling our daughters about these things and such. Stories that you're not going to be able to get when they're long gone that you can get while they're here with us. Some of the others you might know, Dave Adams helped me in my youth ministry. Dave Hiles as well. There was uh, John R. Rice, those of you that know the sword of the Lord. Um, Jerry Falwell, tremendous influence on my life. Uh, Billy Graham, another one. And of course, Pastor Summers, a tremendous influence on my, on my life. But then there's one that you might not even think about that's an influence on my, uh, on my life as well that has influenced me, shaped me, helped me to become a better person, and that's my lovely, wonderful wife. The older I get, the fewer of my heroes are still around. Many of them have changed their address, and I loved what, was said, what Billy Graham said about heaven. He said this, and it was quoted at his funeral. If you got to see it, what a tremendous funeral. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I have just changed my address. I have gone into the presence of God. And with that in mind, let's look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter this morning. It says, where now faith is the assurance or the confirmation of things hoped for, for the conviction or being the proof of things not seen. Then we go down to verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And I've already mentioned that you come back next week and you're going to continue hearing about how God created this world and you don't need to have this to talk to somebody about God being the creator. Then in verse 4 we start with the heroes. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, and God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith that he died, and he still speaks. Abel is defined as a man of worship. He was recognized by God because he brought his best gift to God. He brought his best gift to God. He didn't come before God and make sure, okay, God, I'm giving you an hour of my time here. As some of you think that that's all you need to do while being here in church. He knew that God wanted his very best, and that meant in all areas of his life. God wants the best. He wants your best in your attitude. He wants your best in your time to worship him. God wants your best to be presented to him. And Abel did just that. Then we go down to Enoch. I love Enoch. Because it says here, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Enoch was defined as a man who walked with God. Incredible. When a person, that, this is a person that you need to look up to. 
someone whose claim to fame was that he walked with God. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. Moses could not even look up. And when he came off the mountain, they actually saw that his his radiance that came from him, even though he had never looked upon God. Because something changed, but Enoch walked with God. But here's the interesting point that probably nobody in this room has ever thought of or looked at. You may have read it many, many times, but you didn't put the connection together, and I hope you do now. The Scriptures tell us that in Genesis, as Enoch, when Enoch walked with God all the days of his life, it was after his son Methuselah was born. We all know who Methuselah was, right? Oldest man that ever lived. And I don't know what happened at this point or with the birth of Methuselah, but something happened to account that Enoch's conversation now with God is one that is stated throughout history as he walked with God. Listen this morning. In order to walk with God, you've got to be in step with God. You must be near him. And I hope that you are. And then we see probably one that most kids and children are very familiar with, Enoch, I mean uh, Noah. By faith, in verse 7, Noah, being warned of God concerning events that's unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah is defined as one who represents faith even when everyone else is against you. Noah represents faith when everybody else is against you. The scripture tells us that Noah, God commanded Noah to build an ark. Nobody had ever seen rain before. In fact, if you had told people back then, hey, the, the rain, there, there's going to be water coming from the sky, they would have thought you were crazy or nuts. You would have been on the view. As looks into this wacko guy. He said the rain's going to be coming. You know, nobody knew what rain was. We do. But they didn't back then. And he didn't let that deter him. He went on and he built that rain. I mean, he built that ark and he started to preach the gospel and tell them the things that are going to happen. And when the day came and the, the animals came up two by two and then he had seven for uh they had to eat and there's a lot of things that went on throughout this whole time in fact i'd love to go see the ark exhibit up in uh, kentucky that would be a great great trip someday they evidently they have a replica uh replica of the ark um but noah went and built this thing and he put everyone in it and it was just his wife three sons and their wives Out of all that preaching, only a few were saved. But it didn't matter to Noah. Noah did what God wanted him to do. He showed his faith because he worked for God. He used his time and his talents to build that ark that carried him and his household to safety during that flood. Many of us in this room today will not be asked to build an ark. And if we were, we'd have to go borrow all of Pastor Andrew's tools in order to build the ark because none of us would actually have them. And so, you know, we're not going to be asked to build the ark, but God may have something big in your life that he wants you to do, and you just need to step out in faith and do it. 
our prayer should be, Lord, if you need something to do, I'll do it. Isaiah 6, verse 8 says, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Without question, knowing, not knowing what is going to happen, trust God that he's going to take care of you. And then verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, and I love these phrase, not knowing where he was going. Abraham is defined as a man that when God says go, you do not question God. Because you see, God sees the big overall picture of what's going to happen. You and I only see one tiny little piece of the puzzle of our lives. Have you ever taken apart a thousand-piece puzzle? Those things, I don't know who came up with that idea, but they ought, no, I'm not going to say that. But you start putting it together, and what, how, do you put a, how do you put a puzzle together? One piece at a time, don't you? One piece at a time. Now, if you're smart, you do all the outer edges first. And then you start working on the inside. But that's how God sees, uh, God sees the entire picture before you and I do. You and I have to only rely on our little piece, and I hope that you will do that. Because Abraham was a man, and this is the kicker, who had to wait. Abraham was a man who had to wait. He had to wait for his son. The promised son, God said, I'm going to give you a son. And, and your, your, your children's children are going to outnumber the stars in the heaven. Abraham was promised a son, and he had to wait 25 years, and it wasn't until he was 100 years old in order to have it. And his wife was 90, which I like that because they had 10-year difference. They, were, they all had a 10-year difference in their life. And who knows when they got married, but I'm thankful for a broad, you know, some of you, oh, I've got to marry somebody that's close to my age. No, you don't. You know, God brings people into your life. It's okay. And he had to wait 25 years for that. God promised him that he would have descendants. Numerous as the stars, as I just mentioned, and he had to wait for that. He had to wait on the land that God had promised him and to his descendants. But what faith Abraham had. God told him just to go. And without hesitation, he packed all of his belongings in his hometown and went to where God had instructed him to go. And that had to have a tremendous amount of faith. But for you and I, we might have to wait for our prayers to be answered. We might have to wait for God to speak to us. I'm sure that as Abraham was journeying along, and at times throughout his life, just like you and I have done in our lives, there are times that we say, hey God, are you there? God, are you there? I would just like to know if you're there. And when you have prayed all that you can do and all that you can pray, sometimes we just have to wait on God. Then in verse 23, we see by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was growing up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses represents the great leader. But do you know Moses didn't want to be the leader? Moses was putting every excuse before God. God, I, I, I stuttered, I can't speak. And God says, well, you got your brother Aaron, he's going to speak for you. And you notice in Scripture, not one time Aaron spoke for Moses. Because Moses knew what he needed to do. There are some of you that think, I'll never be used of God. I'm insignificant. I can't do that. That's too big for me. The calendar tells me that I am 58 years old. I know, I don't look it. And I got a 10-year-old daughter and a 5-year-old daughter. That keeps me young. But at 58 years old, I still don't think of myself as a leader. I still want to give excuses as to why I don't need to do something. I don't want to, I don't think anybody looks up to me. I know that's not right, but that's in my mind. That's what I'm thinking. Just like Moses did. Moses did not want to be a leader, but Moses just said, I'm going to do it. He was hidden from his parents, and his parents were not afraid of the king. When he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter because that's how he grew up. He led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. He told them and instructed them that before the death angel were to come to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts and you will be saved. He led them out of danger by crossing the Red Sea on dry land. He led them around Jericho until the walls came falling down and they conquered the land. And then, of course, just like everybody else, he had a congregation full of grumpy people. You can't satisfy any of them. And they were always complaining, always complaining. It's nothing new. Everybody thinks the complainers are, you know, in church or something new. It's not nothing new. People complain all the time, and they complain to Moses, and he probably had several million complaining to him. We need water. And so he struck a rock, and water came out sufficient enough to take care of everybody. We need food. And manna came from heaven and ravens, and God took care of their needs, but people still complained. In fact, Moses got so upset one time that he, instead of speaking to the rock that God told him to do, what did he do? He took the rod and he smote the rock. He disobeyed God. Water still came out, but there were consequences with that disobedience. And those consequences were that he could never enter into the promised land. But Moses still led his people. Moses still led his people. And then we come to verse 32, or verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab represents most of us the unlikely hero. Now, if you notice, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, 
put in that one little tiny phrase, Rahab the harlot. Over a thousand years later, Rahab's reputation still follows her. And so that only draws the conclusions that when you do something young in your life, it's likely to carry with you the rest of your life. So be careful on what you do now. You've heard the old song, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little eyes what you see, for the Father up above is looking down in love, oh be careful little eyes what you see, and then feet and hands and you know all that and the little song that you sing as a child. Rahab's reputation still went with her. But guess what? She did something great. She hid the spies, and God saved her for that. You and I might think of ourselves as being insignificant, that God cannot use us, that you don't consider yourself any type of hero or leader. Well, I'm reminded in verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27, where it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God may bring you to a point of leadership just so that he gets all the glory. And if I had time this morning, I would look into the life of Gideon. Gideon represents the insecure leader. The one that he, had a, he was hiding from God and he was tossing the chaff up in from a, 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 inside of a wine uh, bin just to hide because he didn't want to be seen. And then when God said, I want to I do something for you, with you, Gideon goes, well, let's put this to the test. And he put the now infamous fleece out, right? And said, all right, God, make it dry. And the ground around it wet, and God did that. And he still didn't believe that God wanted to be used of him, so he said, all right, now God, one more test. Put, make the fleece wet and the ground dry all around it. And God did. And right then and there, Gideon probably said, oh, great. Oh, well, what can I do now? And then Gideon looks out. He's got this massive army. And God says, you got too many. What? God, are you crazy? So Gideon just said, all right, now guys, if you, wanna, if you just are scared, go home. <laughs> 32,000 left. Gideon's army dwindled significantly. And God still said, Gideon, you've got too many people. God, you've got to be kidding me. He was insecure. He didn't want to do this in the first place. And now you're telling me I don't have enough men? And it dwindled down to where Gideon had 300 left. And I'm sure that in his insecure mind, Gideon thought, there ain't no way. And you know what, folks? When we think the situation's impossible, it's always possible 
with God. And sometimes we forget that. We try to do things in our own mind and think that we've got to do this or we've got to do that. And we forget that there's one part of the equation in there and that's Almighty God. And it's not for us to get the glory, it's for God to get the glory. We've got to keep that in mind. Then there was Barak. He represented the great military leader. And then you had Samson, who represents the rebellious leader. The rebellious leader. I, I, I love Samson. But every time you looked at Samson, he always did the opposite of what you wanted to do. I can kind of relate with that. Growing up, I was kind of like the rebellion kid. When I, you know, pastor's kids always get the worst rap. We do. It's horrible. And everybody would tell me, tell my dad, well, your son Dave is not going to amount to anything. He's not going to be any good. He's going to be a loser in life. And my dad just said, give him time. Give him time. There are a lot of us, and I know right here, sitting in the front row. And I, you know, we, we kind of relate because we were like that. And all we are are nothing but vessels being used of Almighty God so that God can get all the glory. Samuel represented the prophet who confronted kings unapologetically. David represented facing the giants in your life. But then we come to chapter 12. Look at chapter 12, verse number 1. Therefore, I love that word. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated on the right hand of the throne of God. But I love that first word in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore. Therefore is, when you see the word therefore, it's re, there's a reason it's there for. You've got to think of it this way. This is what I've said. Now this is why I've said it. This is what I've said. Now this is why I've said it. This is why I've said about all these people in chapter 11 that literally mimic every single person and every single group of people to be leaders. And it tells us we are surrounded by other great Christian men and women who have lived a life of faith, and it is now our turn to do so. We must get rid of that excess weight and those sins that bog us down. I have always wondered that when you are running track, those of you that have ever ran track, or let, let you know, I know Jeff runs these uh, uh, Ironman mini marathon type things and he does swimming and uh, all this and that. I'll guarantee you that anybody that is an elite person in these fields, they do not go out to New Balance and pick out a pair of shoes that say loaded with lead they will cause you to run slower no they get the lightest pair of shoes that they can that's going to help them in that event they put on the least amount of clothing it's going to help them run the fastest that they possibly can run i love watching the combines the nfl combines seeing what these elite athletes can just go beyond what normal people think that they can do 
Because we are to lay aside as Christians all of the things that are bogging us down. But what do we do? We kind of put a coat on. A big old coat that's got a lot of pockets in it. And we keep taking these weights and we keep putting them in there. Thinking that as we go along in life that we can throw that coat off one day and it's going to make us a lot better. It really isn't. You're going to be too slow. And you're not going to be able to accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. So we got to get rid of those, that excess weight. And then we have to run. We have to run. Because those who went before us ran. And they are the ones that finished the race. Now it's our turn to run. Some people are in this room today and you're just jogging through the Christian life. Just hoping that you'll one day make the finish line. Now it's like me when I ran, ran, <laughs> My first 5K, I walked the majority of it, and I would run, you know, intervals on it, and <laughs> thinking I was doing a good job, I really wasn't, all I wanted to do was just get to the finish line. Now, some of you, if, if I were to run with you, and we were to put a group of us runners together, runners, listen to me. And I would put Jeff out here, and we're going to go from my house around uh, Pepper Park and back to my house, which is 3.1 miles, or a 5K. Um, and if Clifford was here, he'd be, he'd be in the same boat. And let's get a bunch of us together. And let's get, uh, let's get Jane and Jody out there uh, with their walkers. And let's get everybody. And we all say, all right, go and go as fast as you can. Some of you would be up with Jeff. He'd finish this thing in like 12 minutes. He would just be burning at us. Some of us would be right in the middle. We kind of like walk, but at a brisk pace, you know? We'd get that 3.1 mile in, but, you know, it'd be, take us about 45 minutes. And then there'd be some that would take an hour. And then there would be some like me that would take a long, longer than that because injuries have now set in. And then uh, Jane out there, uh, you know, is just going to, she's going to come up. But Jane's not 15, 20 years old anymore, are you, Jane? I think you were 29 the last time I knew. Okay. Um, and she's going to be carrying it up. But some of us want to even go slower than that because we don't think that we can do anything. So some people are jogging through life. I just want you to finish strong. And in order to do that, you're going to have to pace yourself. But most of us want to have immediate results. You have to be disciplined. But most of us want to take the easy road. You have, to have a, you have to have a desire to win. Most of us don't have that desire to win. But Hebrews says that those who have gone on before us, our inspirations, our heroes of the faith, in order to become a hero of the faith, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. That is the key. And when your eyes turn from and away from Jesus, that's when trouble is going to happen. Today, how many of you will get on the roads out here and you will see on the road somebody drifting into your lane. And then you get by them. And when you get by them, they got a hand here and they're looking like this. 
they're distracted. Their eyes have gotten away from what's important, and that is to have their eyes on the road. You can't take your eyes off the road because you will begin to swerve into the other lane. Your speed slows down. You ever notice those people on their phones? They're going like five miles an hour. And then your focus is on something else rather than really what is important. You remember what happened to Peter in Matthew chapter 14? Peter said, Lord, if that's you on the water, let me come out to you. Jesus said, come on out. And Peter walked out on the water. He was like, man, this is great. I can walk on the water just like Jesus is walking on the water. And he kept his eyes on Jesus. And then the Bible tells us that there was a storm that was brewing around. And Peter took his eyes off of Jesus for a split second to look at the dangerous storm. Because he didn't know what was going to happen. And when he did... The Bible says he began to sink. And like so many of us, we have to say those words that Peter said, Lord, save me. Jesus gets him back in the boat, and what's he tell him? Oh, ye of little faith. Little faith. But Peter one day became a great hero of the faith. Instead, We need to run the race like the Apostle Paul did. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what I want it to be said of me. One day, you're going to have a funeral for me. It's going to be a unique funeral. I've already written it down. I know exactly what I want. Hopefully, Kathleen will carry out those plans. But I know what I want. It's going to be a fun funeral. I am not going to have anybody up and get, you know, get sad. I'm in a better place. Anybody watch Billy Graham's funeral? Man, there was not, they they all were, it was a uh, crusade. They were giving the gospel out. That's what I want. And I want people to say he fought a good fight. He finished the race, but more importantly, that he kept the faith. The Apostle Paul could do this because he says in Galatians 2.20, this is my mom's life verse, by the way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If if you live this way, then one day you are going to earn your WD degree from Jesus himself. You say, what is your WD degree? I hope that I get it one day. I believe my mom got it. I mean, my dad got it. I believe Billy Graham got it. When Matthew 25, 21 says, his Lord said to him, well done. Your WD degree, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I want you to go out from this place today, and I want you to be a hero. I want you to be a hero to your wife. I want you to be a hero to your husband. I want you to be a hero to your... Now, when you, you, you wives, don't let that be a hero to your husband. That he, Honey, come and open this jar for me. I can't do it myself. I love it when my wife brings me jars, and I go, boop, here you go. 
I know she can open them. But she wants me to be the hero. Wives, let your husbands be the hero at times. Be a hero to your children. They look up to you. They admire you. They're watching everything you do. I did it with my dad. I watched everything he did. Be a hero to those you teach. Be a hero to those you coach. Be a hero to your employer. Be a hero to your church. But most importantly, be a hero for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, let us be heroes. We're not going to be in the Bible under the great heroes of faith chapter. But God, you've all, you have given us all a responsibility. Let us, oh Father, now claim that responsibility, do that responsibility, and let us do it for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.